I have always been a person that loves projects. I like to feel like I've accomplished something. I like to have deadlines. I'm kind of a creative person, and deadlines help creative folks. I don't know if you're a creative person out there, but deadlines and having uh, starting and stopping points are very, very important for me. But I've loved being able to, yeah, to, to accomplish a mission. And when I think of that, I think about even, well, starting this church back in 2007. Uh, it, was a, it was a group of us, just a small group of us, and, and uh, that, that was a, a pretty amazing time where we, uh, we got to kind of figure out how to start a, a church. And you look at Dallas, and we have church buildings in a lot of places, and, and at some point somebody had to like start those fellowships up and get together and, uh, yeah, kind of create uh, something from scratch. And launching something like a church from scratch involves a lot of different things. And um, from, from, you know, casting vision, uh, trying to say this is what it's going to kind of look like and this, these are our values and this is our, our mission we're trying to accomplish. And that was, that was a pretty exciting thing to be, to be part of. Uh, we had to raise startup funds because you, you know, as a new church, you got to you know, buy equipment. And there was that part of it. And there's also kind of getting people on board and getting people to want to help. And so we got groups together, and we were all excited about doing this together as a team. And, um, and, and there was other stuff, too, that you have to kind of do. We had to figure out logistics and some of the legal stuff. Turns out to, to kind of be a, a church in the United States, there's this thing called a 501c3. And there's an application thing and all of that we had to do. I even kind of liked some of that and the practical sort of getting something ready to launch. So I remember that, that, that I don't know, it was, it was anticipation, maybe a little stress of that first Sunday that we met. It was in October of 2007 at, at Whitworth Elementary and all the things that had to go into it. You know, we even had to yeah, at some point figure out what we're going to call it. And there were many pages of names we were trying to think up. And uh, obviously, you know what we ended up with, something real flashy called Dallas Church. <clears throat> but on, on that paper, there were some, some good ones. Uh, one of my favorite suggestions was the Super God Force Church. Uh, and that, that I, I was the only one to vote for that one. But, um, but yeah, it, was, it felt really missional. And that first Sunday when people were there and cheering up and, and, and praising Jesus together, that was a pretty powerful moment where I felt so missional, felt like the first century all over again, going to a town that I didn't live in and, and uh, you know, moving there and, and starting this thing. It felt really cool to be part of that. And I don't know if anybody else in this room is wired for projects. Anybody feel like you're brave enough to say, yeah, I like to do projects. Who likes to do projects? Some of you are weirdos and you like to do projects like uh, landscaping and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, but but projects, yeah, some of us are, are wired that way, and, and the, the rest of us, you know, um, you're looking at those people who like projects, and you're like, those are weirdos. But having a, having a sense of purpose is good. This, this has also been a difficulty in my marriage, because with Jackie, when we go on vacation, um, I, I can kind of just chill for a while, but eventually I want to do stuff. I want a project. I want to, we're going to get this agenda down. We're going to, we couldn't even really, in, in some cases, get to all the places that I had in my little agenda. And so some of you are laughing because you're kind of you're like that as well. Um, so, so yeah, I've had to learn how to navigate that wiring in me. But some of you may be at a point in your life where you're like, yeah, I, I want to be part of something. I want to be part of a mission. I want to accomplish something big. And some of you might even suspect that God 
has something big for you. That, that God ain't done with you yet. And some of you may suspect that God has a mission that he wants you to accomplish, to be part of. And, and, and certainly as a church, we have a general mission, but also you personally might have a, a, a project in you that God wants to do through you. And so I would encourage you to even be praying about what that might look like for you. What project do you have that, that you are, are, are wired for? And I think that we're all wired for mission. In fact, when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to being on mission. And that's kind of what we're talking about today as we get into Matthew chapter 10. So if you have a, a Bible or a device, I encourage you to, to find Matthew chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today. Hi, I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you are here today. It's going to be a great day. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to lean into God's word and hopefully be encouraged and challenged. And we're going to see uh, what it's like to be on mission. We're going to look at the, the mission of the 12. That's what we're calling today's message. So let's uh, pause for a word of prayer and ask God to move. Father, we come before you. You're powerful and mighty, and you've called us uh, to, to say yes to your kingdom, to, to say yes to be kingdom people. And Father, I pray that you would empower each of us to hear from you, that our hearts would be softened, that our ears would be open, that we would hear the mission that you have for each of us. And so, Lord, we lean into that and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read just yeah, probably the first handful of verses just to get us into this, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I think some of the verses will be up here on the, on the screen, but I do encourage you to have your own, you know, either paper Bible or, or uh, your own device. It's, it's helpful to, to do that. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. There's our author again, by the way, in, in, in the text. Uh, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now these twelve, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers, or cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And you receive without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So we have 
a, a mission that they were called to. These 12 were called to the mission. This is the first time we, we in, in Matthew's gospel, kind of get the whole team here. Uh, I, I, like sometimes we call them the, 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 the smelly football team, whatever they are. They're 12, 11, then you got the 12th man. But we get them named, and they're going to go on this mission. So Jesus is kind of giving them the pep talk before they go on to this mission. And did you notice that right away he, he tells them, here's, here's your audience. Did you notice who the audience is supposed to be? The lost sheep of the house of Israel, basically the Jewish people. The Jewish people are the first, that, that was their first go around was to go to them specifically. Now later, Jesus is going to commission them to go everywhere, all over the world, Gentiles and Jews together. It's all part of the kingdom. But right now, he's sending them to the Jewish people. So that's their, their so, so instead of sending them off to a foreign land, which sometimes we think of missionaries or people that have to go to a foreign land, he doesn't send them overseas. He sends them to their neighbors. These are, the, these are your people. Go to your family. Go to your nation and tell them this, this message. And, and, and what was the big uh, sermon that he gave them? It's one sentence. Part of a sentence. The kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. Same thing that John the Baptist said, Jesus said, and now they are to do that. And then they're going to they're get to do miracles. Jesus gives this 12 authority to do several things. Did you catch what their authority allowed them to do? It kind of blows my mind, and I have questions. We'll talk about that. But he gives them authority to do miraculous things, to basically do spiritual warfare, cast demons out. Bye-bye. You're out. Voted off the island. You can do that to these spiritual beings. That's pretty crazy. And then he tells them to heal every disease and affliction. You know, cleanse lepers. And that, that's a big deal. And then raise the dead. Did you, did you catch that little nugget? We'll, we'll talk about that. But like that one kind of, I had to read that a couple times. But just hang on. So he gives them authority to do these things, sends them basically next door. And go amongst the people and tell, tell them this good news of this kingdom. And he tells them to travel light. So don't take a lot of extra stuff, you know, extra gear and everything. Uh, that You're going to travel light and basically live on the hospitality and the, uh, the support of the people they go to. And that would have been pretty typical in first century Judaism. Uh, that was already part of Jewish law, that you were supposed to take care of the aliens, orphans, widows, people that were coming into town. There was a sense of hospitality that was a given. Uh, and so that is why when, it, when they, Jesus said, when you run into places that are not hospitable, that's kind of a, an extra area of judgment for them. Uh, because, again, they were, they were already supposed to do it as, as, as Jewish people, but then to reject it um, puts them in a, in, a, in a bad light. So travel light, take no money, and uh, you know, you, you're, you, you're worthy of being supported. And, uh, and when, when no hospitality is offered... Uh, the, the scriptures say do a very ancient Near Easter thing, Near Eastern thing, which would be to shake the dust off. Uh, you can cue up that Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off. So, again, I, I just bombed those, those pop culture references. You know? Shake it off. Man. Man. So, shake it off. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
and, uh, and there's judgment on those places. So they reject, there's going to be some judgment. And, and as we move on, if you look at 16, verse 16, we kind of stopped at verse 15. But if you kind of take a glance at 16, it's going to sound very familiar to you. But from 16 on, until he kind of talks about reward at the end of Matthew chapter 10, he's basically kind of laying out what this is going to be like. And what we're seeing is what's going to happen initially at their first mission as they head out, but also down the road, even after Jesus ascends to heaven and the early church begins, that there, he, he warns them there's going to be pushback against this message, that not everybody's going to like this, not even family and friends are always going to like it, and you've got to keep me top priority. So he spends the next you know, several verses laying out for them kind of some of the, the reality of what they're going to face. And it's going to be tough. And he starts with verse 16 saying, I'm sending you out. What does he say? Sheep among, you know, when sheep and wolves get together, it's not a good thing. Some of you know I grew up on a sheep farm, and uh, we had packs of wild dogs. That's not a good, but he says, I'm sending you out uh, with, with, with wolves out there. So that sounds scary. I mean, it's interesting that as you read through chapter 10, you're thinking, if this is supposed to be a pep rally, this is kind of scary. He's laying out for them. People are not going to like it. Some people are going to just flat out reject you. Um, he even starts to, to, to tell them what's going to happen down the road, too, that there's going to be leaders that are going to arrest you. And they're going to put you, you know, in prison. And I can imagine them just like slowly shrinking as he keeps describing this. But he says, hey, because you're going to be out there doing this difficult thing, be, and this is a phrase you've probably heard in different iterations. It's right there in verse 16. So... And, <laughs> It's an interesting phrase, but I want to paraphrase it by saying, you guys, you need to be snaky and dovey. <laughs> it's a weird way to put that, I realize. The actual scripture says, hey, I'm sending you, right, amongst your sheep amongst wolves, therefore be wise as snakes or serpents and, and innocent as, as doves. And there's different versions will say different things. But the, the idea is be smart, right? Um, so don't be gullible but also maintain your integrity as you're going out, uh, you sheep among wolves. <clears throat> so be snaky and, and, and dovey. And, uh, and so that's the, 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 the bedrock of their, the way they ought to be as they're out there doing this, this mission. But expect hardship. But he says three different times, don't fear. He says, do not fear. Don't fear what you're going to say when you're arrested. Don't fear uh, these folks that are, that are opposing you because there's, there's some judgment that's going to come because they're rejecting their Messiah. They're rejecting the way to have life. And so he gives them all of this, and, and I, I'm imagining them, they're starting to get a little nervous. You know, this is the pep rally, and he's telling them it's going to be difficult. People are going to push back against you. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require you to have your wits about you. You're going to have to be as smart as a snake. And, and, and all of this is, is, is probably filtering into their ears. Now, Matthew's, or Mark's gospel, uh, you know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four bits of the New Testament or books in the New Testament. Mark gives us a detail that none of the other ones give us, which is they were sent out in pairs. And it's interesting, if you notice the very beginning of that, uh, they're kind of listed as pairs. Did you catch that? So it was like there's a conjunction and several times. So you have, and this is just me wondering, did, did Peter and Andrew go off together? Did, uh, did you notice that? If you look back, uh, James 
and John his brother. So we sent out maybe some brother pairs. And then you have um, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Those are two guys that you don't get to hear much about. I feel like we need more written on those two. I feel like they got the, the, the short end of the stick when it comes to this, this famous 12. They never get mentioned anywhere. But I wonder if you have them set in pairs right there and kind of hidden in Matthew listing out who they were. Maybe, maybe it was uh, Judas Iscariot and Simon the Zealot that were put together. I think in the series The Chosen, they are, if I remember this. So you have a zealot who, you know, that, that group, if it was actual zealots, those are the people that would, you know, kind of sneak up on Roman soldiers and start stab them right in the femoral artery to kill them within seconds. That's what they were trained to do. So set him, the terrorist, with that wonderful tax collector. Let's put those eyes together, send them out. That's what I'm wondering in this pairing. And we still don't like tax collectors, do we? You know, and here's our author showing himself up again. So you're going to have a difficulty. And Jesus says, make, make me your top priority. In, in all of this, you've got to make me your top priority. And as you go out, don't worry. I've, I've got you. Stay on mission. Or like Andrew likes to say, stay on brand. And what was, the, what was the sermon? You already should have this memorized. It's easy. It's, one, it's not even a full sentence. The kingdom of heaven. See, you already have it. You're, 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 you're preaching what they, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was their whole message. And uh, yeah, and it's going to be a divisive message. He's already warning them. He's not sugarcoating any of this. And, and I think I appreciate that about the, the text. The scripture doesn't sugarcoat that when you follow Jesus, everything is just going to be so easy. Uh, it's not that way. It's going to have some difficulty involved in it. And he doesn't sugarcoat that for his disciples. Although I'm wondering now, are they, hey, do we have to do this? Do we have to go on this mission? Can I, can I wait this one out and go to the next one where there's a boat involved or something? I don't know. So in verse 34, we find out another thing that he's not sugarcoating, that this will also be, in some cases, disturbing the peace. One, one scholar that I read talks about verse 34, and he just said, you know, yes, in a sense, Jesus comes to bring peace, but the peace that he brought was peace with God, that there was going to be dealing with sin, and there would be offered salvation, so peace with God, but that always, doesn't always translate into peace with other people or peace with relationships, and some of you know what that's like. When you had decided to follow Jesus, um, you may have been alienated by certain relationships. Maybe in family got a little bit more dicey. That Thanksgiving table got a little more dicey. Uh, people put you in categories when you say you're a Christ follower. And so Jesus did come to bring peace with God in that sense of dealing with sin, but it also brought division. And Jesus doesn't hold back and let him, let him hear that, that following Jesus doesn't mean the absence of strife, that there is going to be some, some peace disturbed. And uh, some of you probably know what that's like. And then this is the ultimate all-in first priority deal. Jesus mentions something that should shock all of us. It, it's so familiar that it doesn't shock us anymore. We have a cross right behind us. Some of us wear cross jewelry. Some of us have crosses tattooed. So we don't think about it, but that was a very divisive thing in the first century because the cross was an instrument of rule. The cross was used by Roman soldiers. They knew exactly how this thing worked. And they, were, they perfected it. And so he tells them in verse 38 
that they need to be, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to have to carry your cross. And that must have sounded super shocking. I think it's one of the first mentions in Matthew's gospel of anything like a cross. And I'm guessing that everybody was listening when, they said, when he said cross. Because you don't come back from a cross. I mean, I know we're on the other side, and Jesus does come back from that cross, which is amazing. But then they didn't know that. It would have been like him saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your noose. Or if you're going to follow me, firing squad time. Or if you're going to follow me, it's electric chair or lethal injection. I mean, I, I know that sounds shocking, but that, that kind of what it would have been, sounded like. Uh, one commentator said this, uh, people then knew that when a person was carried away by a Roman legion or Roman soldiers, it was a one-way trip. You aren't coming back. The person literally lost their life in that moment. Jesus demands from everyone who follows him nothing less. Crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship. It's shocking. It should shock us a little bit that we got to go all in. And it's an all-in deal. It's a shocking metaphor. A disciple must deny himself, die to self-will, which is kind of what the picture of baptism does. You're, You're dying literally buried your old life to be risen to new life. And so that's what it means. There's a connection between baptism and the cross in that sense. A dying to the old way, now your life is buried in Christ to be risen to new life in his resurrection. Powerful metaphor, but also shocking, right? Wow. And then, just to kind of, right before they take off, he says, but there is a reward. He says that at the very end of chapter 10. All this hard stuff, and they're like, I don't know if I want to do this mission. And then he ends with, hey, but there is a reward. You welcome me. You're welcoming my father. There is reward. Keep on keeping on. Don't be afraid. I've got you. So that's good. At least he ends on a little bit of a, of a happy note-ish. And then they go off, and we'll find out in a week or two how their, how their little trip went. We're going to find out what happened when they went out there and they were able to do these things. But I read this passage and I have questions. Do you have questions? I have so many questions. First of all, this seems really soon for them to be sent out. You know what I mean? I mean, they wouldn't even let me plant a church back in the day without going through assessments and all this stuff. And they're looking at my finances. I'm serious. And they do that with missionaries too. Before a missionary organization will send you overseas and you're getting funds from people, they want to make sure all is up, all up and to the right. They want to make sure you're somewhat healthy. And, uh, and I have questions. These guys are sent out, and we're barely, we're barely even, at least from Matthew's gospel, we barely even know their names, right? Whoever hears of Thaddeus anymore, I don't know. But we barely know their names, and Jesus says, okay, everything that I just demonstrated and taught for the past four chapters or five chapters now I commission you, go. I feel like it's too soon. Does anybody feel like that for me? It feels like it's a little soon. I mean, uh, what do they know? I mean, they hung out with Jesus for a while. We don't know how long at this point I realize that, but it just seems quick. Like, what if they run into difficulty, like Jesus just talked about? What are they going to do? It feels a little soon. Like, what if, what if uh, I don't know, let's, let's choose a couple of them. What, what if Thaddeus... Thaddeus and James, son of Alphaeus. We don't really hear much about those guys, so let's give them some credit. See, they're, they're out there doing their, they're, they're talking about the one sentence. They just got one sentence they could say. They stand up, and they're at the synagogue or whatever, and everybody's ready. 
And they've got their Bibles handy. They didn't. They had scrolls, but anyway. And James says, okay, here's our big message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. And they sit down, because that's, that's it. And what if, what if some of the people are like, well, wait, look, can I, I have questions about the kingdom. So, so when is that going to start? Where's the, where's the headquarters? Um, who gets to be treasurer? What if people start pestering them with questions? I realize I'm being facetious, but I still feel like that was really early to send them off. What do they know? They didn't have a Bible college degree. They didn't go to seminary. What if somebody asked them about, you know, uh, theories of atonement or the end times? That's, you know what I'm saying. I'm just trying to bring it into our time frame. I felt like it was too early. Plus, I have other questions. This is what I do. I have questions. What was it like to have the authority to do these miracles? I mean, right, Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. Let's rewind a little bit, right? Sermon on the Mount, great message. He, demonstrated, he said, what, here's, here's the kingdom. It's upside down, right? And then for the next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, he demonstrated it, doing all these things. And then, here we go, chapter 10 shows up, and he sends his disciples with the same message and the same authority. What was that like to put your hands on... Now, some of you are medical professionals. And, um, you know, it, it would have been a little scary to walk up to somebody with like a wasting disease like leprosy and touch them with your hands. I don't think back then they understood how stuff transferred. Uh, I'm sure they didn't have their alcohol swabs. And they're touching. And what was that like to restore someone completely, even their limbs that had fallen off? I don't know how you bounce back from that one. You see that a couple times and you're wrecked. Or raise the dead. That little nugget just gets me every time. And, 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 and Jesus says, hey, when you're doing these things, do, do not accept money. Do not go down that road. Freely you have been given, right? Freely you give. Don't accept money for this stuff. But what they were able to do, it it's boggles my mind. And we will find out again how that mission went. They're going to report back to Jesus everything that they had done. So these 12 are put on a mission. And really, it's a mission that they never stopped. They kept on that mission until all of them passed away. And they taught other reliable people, and they taught other reliable people. And guess what? We're here. All these generations later, we are still on mission. Maybe we don't have the same special mission that these 12. I get that. You know, don't send me angry emails. Yes, I get that they, the 12 had a unique role. I get that. But in a sense, when Jesus left, he ascended to heaven. This is the very end of Matthew's gospel. He said, all authority on heaven and earth be given to me. And he looks at his disciples, which are more than just the 12 at this point, go. He sends them. That means us. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've taught you and teach them how to obey. And I'll be with you as you do this all the way up to the end of the age. When you said yes to Jesus, you are on mission. You signed up for a 24-7, 365 mission. Okay, 366 if you count leap year. You are on a mission. And I don't know if you knew that, but you are on a mission. And God has placed you uniquely with your hurts, hang-ups, issues, and your experiences, and your unique way to look at life. God has placed you on this planet with people around you that only you are going to probably have 
access to. You are on mission. That is your mission field. You are on mission. You woke up today, you were on mission. If you said yes to Jesus, you've got people in your circle of influence that God has already probably been working on, and he's, he, you need to just be there, ready, to pray with someone, to teach them. Let me tell you this story about Jesus I read this week. You are on mission. If you said yes, have you embraced this? It's a reality. And I want to encourage you to embrace that mission that you've been called to. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. Tell someone who can tell someone because this is why we're in this room. Because disciples did that. They just said, hey, let me tell you about this crazy thing Jesus did. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to live that way. And okay, this is what it means to make disciples. And so the one thing that I think we need to hear this morning is that we are on mission. And so our prayer and my prayer for you, I hope that our prayer together is that, that God would make us missional. That we would remember, rekindle that fire that we're on mission. No matter what our career is, we are uniquely placed to be missionaries, to be disciple makers, his hands and feet. Ask the Lord, Father, make me missional. Father, make me missional. Jesus sent us on a mission. He said, go. Just like those disciples, a little bit like them, a little different, I get it, but still in that same, that same area to go and everyone you meet. And that means the people in your circles of influence. God has already placed you there. He's probably already working on people. And you can begin to tell the stories of Jesus. This is something that, that you can do. You can be on mission. Something that we did with our kiddos when they were younger is we'd always do a Bible story. And what we would do is there's about 150 or so stories from cover to cover, Old Testament included, New Testament, about 150 or so stories. Um, and there's parables and other things too. But we would tell that we would read the story and then we would talk about it, uh, put it in our own words uh, and kind of, kind of make it current. And then we would ask questions. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about the people in this scenario? And then what do we learn for ourselves and what do we do about it now? And then we could even add to that, who needs to hear this? You can do this. You are on mission. You are a disciple maker. You don't need Bible college and seminary, although those are great things. You don't need that to be a disciple maker. You're teaching the stories of Jesus, and then you're talking, hey, how do we obey this? And then who are we going to share this with? You are on mission. If you forget everything else today, you are on mission. Imagine a people like us living out that mission where we're radically just wherever we're at, we're, we're going to be looking and praying for people and helping them obey Jesus because we are on mission. I want, to be, I want to be on that great missional project, and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father, you're powerful and mighty. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Matthew and, and the recording of, of this early mission and Jesus commissioning, uh, sending out. And Father, we know that you're still doing that. You're still calling out to us to, 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 to go and be your hands and feet in our world. All the circles of influence that each of us occupy. That, Father, you'd help us to remember that we are on mission and that we can help people learn about your son and obey him and tell others. Father, help us to be about that until the day you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.